Well, I am uh, now, and I guess always have been, um, a member of that strange community known as Perpetual Students. Uh, if it were up to me, I'd go to school for the rest of my life. I suppose some of this comes from a congenital laziness uh, of the kind um, once known as dilettantism. Um, but in a perfect world, I'd be, perf I'd be uh, independently wealthy, and so not to have to ever earn a living and be free to explore untouched reaches of the world and the mind in a perfect world. Um, in the real world, I do have to work. Um, and the free exploration has actually most often turned out to be pretty expensive and has amounted to a whole lot of um, tedious plodding from one already well-trod path to another. Still, in a perfect world, I'd be back in school. Now, like any addiction, um, this one, too, has its downside, not the least part of which is the uh, what I like to call the grass is always greener uh, syndrome that leaves me with a chronic case of, of discontent and attention deficit disorder of the spirit, um, if only, if only, if only. And of course, the older I get, uh, the more the hope dwindles that I'll ever land in that perfect pasture where I'll lie contented with book in hand and blessed forevermore. Still, as any reader of Sherlock Holmes knows, most of the fun is in the pursuit, with the answers being not much more than side effects. And so I press on in my restless intellectual meanderings, getting nowhere fast, but having a pretty good time thinking about it. I suppose a positive spin on this obsession would be to uh, frame it in terms of discipleship. After all, we're all disciples, right? Learners. And if the New Testament is correct, we remain disciples till we leave this earth. If there is any such thing as graduation for us students of Christ, the commencement speech takes the form of a eulogy. So it is, and so it has been, and so it always will be until the day when Christ calls us all home together and hands us our diplomas, all marked, Lord willing, summa cum laude. A couple of months ago, I attended um, an educational event at the Parish Resource Center. Coffee and Conversation with Leonard Sweet, it was called. Leonard Sweet is the author of Soul Tsunami, and the gospel according to Starbucks. And despite his penchant for cute book titles, Brother Sweet is a real-life California academic, complete with flowing white shoulder-length hair and a taste for gourmet coffee. And he was really very engaging um, and displayed a knack for that alliterative shorthand that, that makes its way onto bumper stickers and, and the inside of best-selling books. For example, um, he let his admittedly graying audience know that, that we are part of the Gutenberg generation, but we are now living in the Google generation. The world has changed immensely since the invention of the cell phone in 1973. And we church leaders had best get our heads around that and change uh, course accordingly. He encouraged us to reconfigure how we communicate the good news of Christ and to stop assuming that just because the message stays the same, that the methods don't need to change, to stop communicating Gutenberg style um, and start communicating Google style. It was a stimulating couple of hours. But I confess that about halfway through um, our time together, I get derailed a bit and spend about 20 minutes arguing with Brother Sweet uh, in my head, of course, um, not out loud, I am, after all, a Mennonite. Um, 
what triggered my initial or my internal outburst um, was Sweet's suggestion that Christians spend way too much time talking about the teachings of Jesus and not nearly enough time talking about the person of Christ and really suggested that we just need to take the whole teachings of Jesus thing out of the picture altogether and simply proclaim Christ. Now, that's the sort of thing to get any self-denying Mennonite pastors back up. Ignore the teachings of Christ? I mean, you can't be serious. Well, what can we really say about Christ without referencing his teachings? You take away the teachings and Christ becomes virtually unknowable, a shadow figure constructed by theologians and based on the writings of Paul with some Old Testament prophecy forming the backdrop. And so my admittedly uh, fevered ruminations went. But I eventually got back on track and um, enjoyed the rest of Sweet's presentation. But that's not the point. The point is this. As disciples, I believe, we are called to be lifetime learners. And the core, the heart, the center of that learning is found in the Gospels. And even more specifically, in the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, that's about as Anabaptist a couple of sentences as you can write. And I believe them um, wholeheartedly. Even his most fierce opponents understood Jesus to be a rabbi, a teacher, one who opens the pages of Scripture and then seeks to make them plain. And his disciples were, well, they were disciples, right? Students, people learning from the teacher, listening to his words, watching his actions, learning to do what Jesus said and to do what Jesus did. And they quickly figured out that even the clearest, plainest, simplest teaching coming from Jesus' lips was more than enough to occupy them for the rest of their lives. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Give to anybody who asks of you. And you get the point. You could parse such sentences. You could memorize them. You could etch them into your very skin and still be hard-pressed to live them out. A lifetime of learning, practicing, trying, failing, trying again, failing again, over and over. That's the road that's set for disciples. And that's not even including the less simple, the less clear, the harder stuff like we hear Jesus saying in our gospel reading for today. The cost of learning, the cost of following this particular teacher, the cost of discipleship. No gold stars here for getting the lesson right, more like scars. It's enough to make your head spin. Just the kind of disorientation, perhaps, that we need in order to get us to start walking in a different direction. The path of Jesus doesn't lead to wealth and security and blessing. It leads to suffering and maybe even death. I mean, why would I want to follow Jesus? But where else would I go? So I exchange a glance with a sister or brother disciple, and we smile that kind of pain smile seen on the faces of first-time skydivers. Oh, well, here goes everything. And we jump, or we're pushed, and we keep on listening, because that's what good disciples, that's what good students do. They listen and learn. They try and fail. They try again. They listen some more. Lifetime learners, that's what we're called to be. Oddly enough, we're also called to be teachers. The original multitaskers, the disciples, the students of Jesus, were quickly recruited to the ranks of teachers. That's what evangelists are, right? 
They're teachers of the gospel. They're tellers of the good news. They're proclaimers, proclaimers of the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. And, oh, yes, Dr. Sweet taught his disciples while he walked the dusty streets of Galilee, the busy streets of Jerusalem, and all for the sake, all for the sake of revealing some new thing about who God is and what God's intentions are and what that means for the whole world and not least of all for those who want to follow after Jesus and listen and learn how to live now that he's come. And so like our teacher, we disciples are told to go out and do our own teaching. We live and proclaim what we know about God, what we've learned about God as we've studied the teachings of Christ and the words of Scripture, as we examine the facts of his life and death, as we believe in faith the truth of his resurrection and ascension. Lifelong learners become lifelong teachers as we invite everyone we meet to do as Jesus said and to do as Jesus did. Now, we do this a bit self-consciously, knowing as we do how imperfectly we know and live the good news of Christ. But that self-consciousness is okay, I think, and clearly preferable to the kind of arrogant hand-waving of those students who think they know it all, perhaps even better than the teacher did. We understand the warning found in the letter from James, that it's a risky thing we are doing when we claim to be teachers. We know how prone we are to slips of the tongue, how easy it is for us to use the teachings of Scripture as weapons, speaking as though the good news is little more than a word of condemnation of everyone that we consider to be beyond the pale. And we know, too, how prone we are to speaking with a confidence that too often borders on arrogance, as if we own the message rather than it owning us. And and so we strive to rein ourselves in, to rein our tongues and our words in, to speak always as people aware that we have been saved through the grace and mercy of God and not by any clever or righteous acts of our own. Our invitation, our proclamation, is one offered in humility or ought to be. We confess that we don't always live up to what we know or what we say. And then we say that we are loved anyways and that getting it all right is not the point. The point is to keep on listening and learning and walking and trying and failing and trying some more. We stumble after the voice of the teacher whose spirit leads us toward the truth. And we invite others to stumble along with us. This is not to say that we're timid or apologetic about our proclamation. It's just to say that we are always careful to admit that so much of what our teacher said is beyond us. That even the teacher himself remains in some ways beyond our understanding. That there is mystery and plenty of it in what we've seen and heard from Jesus. But even with that limitation, we understand the call to lifelong learning and lifelong teaching and inviting everyone to come listen and come see this one whose life and ministry we believe has changed the world forever. A little bit later in this service, we will recognize all of the teachers in our congregation, all those who have invested time and energy in the nurture of the members of this faith community. One of the most exciting aspects of our life together is, I believe, our Sunday school program. Um, While most congregations have experienced a decline in Sunday school attendance, our attendance continues to be strong. Not very many of us take advantage on a regular basis of the break between worship and Sunday school to skip out for home or for a cup of coffee in the newspaper at Borders 
We take seriously our calling to be lifelong learners and lifelong teachers, endlessly studying and growing and questioning and practicing, and we're quite prepared to admit that the more we learn, the more there is to learn. And so we gladly stay on the student's path, and we don't hesitate to humbly commit ourselves to occasionally being the teacher leading the way. What a wonderful thing it is to be part of this culture of learning and teaching, this community of perpetual students. I feel right at home here. And today we've also been called to, to think about education more broadly and to think about not only our own children and their education, but about kids all over the world who want to learn and grow and become whatever it is they are meant to become. And just as last Sunday we felt a connection to the global Mennonite community as we heard stories from the Mennonite World Conference Assembly, so this Sunday we are invited to feel that same connection and to understand that communities all over the world want exactly the same things for their children as we do for ours. And one of those things is the opportunity to receive a quality education. And we've heard stories of some of those children. And many of us could tell others stories of kids whose education was cut short because of poverty or structural adjustments imposed by foreign governments or gender or racism or simple unavailability. And stories of children who learn and grow and achieve in circumstances that we simply can't imagine. Children whose energy and enthusiasm for learning simply cannot be denied. As we hear the scriptures read this morning, and as we're called to consider the importance of our own discipleship, our own calling to being students and teachers, let us think more broadly and consider how we can contribute to offering that same calling, that same privilege to children all over the world. Well, our calling to be students, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, is a forever calling, right? Um, it's a calling to keep on listening, keep on listening to the words of Jesus, to keep on studying the words of Scripture, to keep on working at figuring out just what those words mean in our present context, to keep on discerning together how we ought to live because of those words. In a way, I guess, in a way, I guess we're... Well, we're called to never grow up if growing up means having everything figured out or worked out or sorted out. To forever remain, in some ways, children. Not that our diet doesn't develop over time as we move from milk to, to food that requires more chewing, but, but children, people who never have to stop, never stop having to look up to someone, um, in this case, looking up to Jesus. And as they say, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being perpetual students, childlike in our need to keep on learning every day, always having lots of homework, never being done. In fact, Jesus told his first followers a long time ago that being like children was one of the keys to being one of his followers. So, rejoice and be glad, therefore, my sisters and brothers. No matter how much we have learned, no matter how brilliant and faithful our teachers, there is still lots more to know. And that, says this perpetual student, is good news. We get to stay in school forever. How cool is that? Amen. <laughs>